You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the Balshem Tov HaKadosh, on the Holy Balshem Tov. And tonight's Shir is going to be titled Choosing Bitachon. Now, ultimately, the word Bitachon could have been translated into trust or a branch of faith, of Amuna, as we're going to see. But for the sake of the title, I wanted to maintain the essential word bitachon because it's somewhat untranslatable, especially in the context that the Baal Shem Tov is going to be describing it to us. In addition to that, the hezber or the thread or the vein of thought within the Baal Shem Tov's writings and within the students of the Baal Shem Tov that I'm going to be highlighting tonight is by no means the singular way of understanding the sugya hakalalas of bitachon in the writings of Hasidim and their Talmidim, but rather it's one particular lens through which to look at the topic of bitachon in order that it is connected to the mahalach that we've built upon already and that we will be utilizing to lead us towards our intended destination. So what we hear tonight in terms of the Bashem Tov's approach to Bitachon is not to be taken as a singular approach, but rather one of the deeper approaches that are contained within the writings of the Bashem Tov. Now, what we spoke about last week was the need to try and reconcile these two almost paradoxical elements that rest at the core of the Bashem Tov's universe. And the Balshemtov's universe, like we said, is the Arizal's universe. And the Arizal's universe is Rashbi's universe. And Rashbi's universe is Moshe Rabbeinu's universe. That on the one hand, what the Balshemtov revealed to us was a new fundamental understanding of what Yichud Hashem means, of what the unity of God means. How to reconcile the apparent differences and distinctions and separateness and multiplicity that is born out of a singular unity that is infinite in nature. And what the Balshemtov arranges for us is an awareness that all separation, all distinction, all acts of constriction and containment and withdrawal, and all of those nouns that can be utilized to translate for that special word that rests at the apex, tsimtsum. Uh, what the Baal Shem Tov teaches us is that all of those words ultimately represent a mirage of sorts or a hester, a form of concealment that blocks the eyes from seeing the true nature of reality. And that with the proper lens of Yichud Hashem in its proper form, a person can pierce through that veil. A person can pierce through that separating partition that appears to create 
walls and frightening beasts that block the entrance to the palace, as we know from the famous Mashal. And nevertheless, with the Histaklis Haru'uya, with the proper vision of the Balshemtov, that Tov Roi, that ability to see with the light of the six days of creation, to see with that light of the Or Haganas, which we're going to taste by Ezra Sashem as Hanukkah comes closer, a person sees through all of the partitions, a person sees the true nature of the partition, which is that it is nothing but the appearance of a partition for the sake of us seeing through it, thereby disclosing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is found within the concealment of himself as well. So this radicalization of sorts of the unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov creates a world where all things are unified, where all things bespeak the nature of God, whether you're sitting in the base medrash learning Torah Lishma, or whether a person is in the marketplace encountering scattered sparks of residual holiness within the mundane activities of daily experience for the sake of encountering God, all things are shining. Everything is illuminated in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu from the perspective of the Baal Shem Tov's disclosure of unity. Yet, as we hinted to last week, the Baal Shem Tov was not someone who came along to allow everything, God forbid. Rather, the Baal Shem Tov was coming along to reveal a new iteration of our way of understanding the secrets of Torah. And one of the primary elements that animate our approach to Panimiya Satora is that it must be in line down to the slightest inch with Chitzonia Satora, with the Halacha, with our understanding of what it means to be a human being in this world. And not to, God forbid, go outside even a hair's breadth from the limitations and the rules and the regulations that dictate the way that we must encounter this unity. So that nothing is permitted. Everything remains cut through with the interdictions of the law. And lawfulness remains the essential mode of being through which the human being encounters God in this world and absence in this world and all of the different elements of human experience. So on the one hand, we have this annihilation of boundary, a pure, infinite revelation of a Kaddish Baruch Hu's presence. Yet on the other hand, we're forced to acknowledge forms of limitation, withdrawal, concealment, measurements, restriction. And so this paradox of terms, this confrontation with one another, leads us to a certain crossroads. It leads to a clearing wherein the individual who wants to allow the light of the Baal Shem Tov to move from the head into the heart we're forced to encounter this crossroads where we try and make amends between these two apparently contradictory senses. That on the one hand, God is ever present and in on Nevado, that and that when a person comes to recognize that Alufa Shal Olam is concealed and hidden within every tenua, within every movement, no matter how distant or removed a person is from Kedusha, they can draw the light of godliness down at any moment that a person can leave katnas with the blink of an eye. Yet on the other hand, the restrictions and the interdictions and the limitations that allow for an equal playing field where Bechira is apparent remain in place. So what we encounter when we take those ideas down from their elevated esoteric realm, down into the exoteric experience of what it means to be a human being, we're forced to live with somewhat of a duplicitous nature within our hearts. On the one hand, Hashem is ever-present. On the other hand, Hashem might be absent in my mind according to this moment, as I stand with my heart and my mind. So what we're going to discuss tonight is the tool, is the etza, is the spiritual potency 
with which an individual is capable of traversing this binary opposition? What is it that gives us the strength to cross over this very narrow bridge? As Rabbi Nachman, the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, teaches us that this entire world is but a very, very narrow bridge, and the main thing is to not be afraid. A bridge represents a transition from one edge to another edge. The implication being that there is a disparity at the heart of existence. Without disparate notions, without separateness, there's no need for bridging things. If everything is unified, there's no fear of drowning in the waters that separate one edge from the other. What Rabbi Nachman was informing us of, at least on a certain level, is that within the unity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, there is a necessity of minding the gap, of allowing there to be a difference of edges, for there to be the raging waters that appear to separate one edge from the other. And the Iker Mahalach of Hasidus on a certain level, especially when understood in its precise manifestation, is the ability to traverse from one edge to the other without negating the distance between the two of them. It would be all too easy for Hasidus or for the Baal Shem Tov to come along and say, ah, you see a paradox between the ever-present nature of God and the seemingly finite limitations of this worldly experience. So then it would have been very easy for the Baal Shem Tov to be a world-denying mystic who said that just forget about what your eyes see, all there is is godliness, which is not what the Baal Shem Tov came to do. It's not what the Baal Shem Tov said. But rather, what the Baal Shem Tov was trying to explain on a certain level was how these two apparent paradoxes in terms, separation and infinitude, or the unlimited and the limited, or measurement and the annihilation of the possibility of measurement, how the two of those elements can operate in unison without either negating one or the other. And that is the secret of the bridge, the bridge that allows me to move from one edge to the other. And as Rabbi Nachman tells us, that's a terrifying place. It's a terrifying place to live stuck at the crossroads where we have a cognitive dissonance within ourselves that on the one hand says, I don't need to do anything because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is everywhere. Yet on the other hand says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is apparently nowhere and therefore I am responsible to do everything. In order to allow those two experiences and those two pulsations to coexist within the heart of the human being, there needs to be the secret of the bridge, the bridge that allows me to traverse from one edge to the other. One element of this bridge is going to be the midah of bitachon, the concept of trust, the concept of trusting in HaKadosh Baruch. Now, before we can make segue into the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, we have to make a slight detour into the teachings of the Rishonim. Now, according to the Ramban, and according to the Choyves HaLevavos, Bitachon seems to be an outgrowth of Emunah. As the Ramban writes, that Emunah is the tree, Emunah is the awareness that God is everything, it's the awareness that everything is okay, and Bitachon is the application of that awareness, living with the acknowledgement that everything is okay, and that ultimately everything that takes place in my life is for the best, and that what I want will eventually come to fruition if I have enough trust in God. And the Chavis HaLavavos in Shahar Bitachon, what the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote in numerous letters to individuals expressing their anxiety, expressing their brokenheartedness, expressing their fear over a world on fire, Lubavitcher Rebbe's to them was to learn Shahar Bitachon, 
not because Shar Habitachon would lead a person to experience newfound emuna. That's also true. But the very learning of Shar Habitachon, the seemingly inferences that I've chosen to make in the letters of the Lubavitcher Rebbe imply that by the simple act of learning the Sefer itself is an act of bitachon. That by reading those words themselves, a person experiences bitachon. Similar to an idea, which is very shy to what we're discussing, that elsewhere in the Zohar HaKadosh, there's a statement that's repeated over and over again, that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, Baha'i Safra Yafkin Megelusa Berachman, that by studying my book, by studying this book, the book of the Zohar, a person will find redemption from exile with compassion and mercy. So the typical way of reading that statement is that it's a cause and effect. By learning the Zohar, by studying Panimiya Satora, by descending into the inner interiority of this worldly experience and uncovering the storehouses of meaning and intensity that rest underneath the apparent surface, a person will bring about redemption as if that is the reward of their activity. So that studying Panimiya Satora, learning High Safra, learning the Sefer HaZohar will eventually set a cog into action to eventually bring about redemption. Now that is certainly true according to our tzaddikim, but there's a deeper way of understanding this idea. Baha'i Safra Yafkin Megilusa, you want to know how to leave exile. You want to know how to exit the brokenness and the flooding waters of this worldly experience? Learn this book. Because when you learn this book, Gullus fades away. That the very act of studying Panimiya Satora, the very act of entering into the Teva of the Zohar, allows a person to live in a suspended moment where Gullus is no longer the reigning principle of existence. That in the moment of learning these ideas, I encounter a reservoir of faith within myself and within the world and within God that was not available to me previously. Now, the same is true when studying the Shah Habitachon of the Chovis Alevavos. It's not that simply by learning Shah Habitachon I can learn how to have Bitachon, but learning the Shah Habitachon in and of itself is a textual expression of the experience of Bitachon. And what the Chovis Alevavos says in very similar nature to the Ramban is that Bitachon is the trust that we have in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that no matter what things look like or no matter what the circumstances are, things will ultimately become what I hope they will be. That what I desire, the good that I desire, the revealed good that I wanna see in my life, that I wanna see in others and that I wanna see in the world will take place through my bitachon. So that bitachon, when a person is strong enough in their trust, what they hope for will happen. That's the shita on one, under, one very simple expression of it, of the Chayvas Levavos and the Ramban in Bitachon, especially through the writings of Ravichemeyer Morgenstern, as expressed in Lukutei Amachachma, Chelak Avoidas Hashem, Chelak Aleph, in Erech Bitachon. Then we have another tzaddik, whose yard site was a few weeks ago, who at first glance appears to be a, a strange bedfellow with Hasidus, but those who are aware are very well aware that this tzaddik had a deep hiskashras, a deep connection to the wellsprings of Hasidus and, and possibly the wellsprings of Rabbi Nachman ben Fega as well, was the Chazonish. Now the Chazonish wrote 
a beautiful, beautiful sefer called Sefer Emuna Ubitachon. And aside from the beauty of the first shar, where he talks about the necessity of contemplating natural existence in line with the Rambam to encounter godliness in this world, there's a parak where the Chazon Ish takes slight issue with the Chavis HaLavavos' interpretation of Bitachon. The Chazon Ish says that Bitachon doesn't necessarily mean that what you hope will happen will happen. It doesn't mean that if I have the trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will carry out my desires in accordance with what I believe to be the truest form of good. But rather, Bitachon means the awareness that whatever it is that takes place in my life, through retroactive introspection, I am capable of seeing it as being within the purview of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's unity. Meaning to say that whatever takes place, I am capable of recognizing that this is the Ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that Bitachon for the Chazonish, in contradistinction to Bitachon, according to the Chavos Vavos, is not that everything will be as I want it to be, but rather everything that is, is exactly the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants it to be. And even if it doesn't align with my desires, even if it doesn't align with my deep-seated feelings of what is good for me or my family or the world at large, nevertheless, I am capable of recognizing that it sits within the purview and the hashkacha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, Rav Shlomo Fisher also makes this chiluk. It's not only Rav Itchemeyer, Rav Shlomo Fisher in his Sefer Joshua's Beis Yishai, in a footnote, I believe in Drush Purim, I don't have the Sefer anymore, but Rav Shlomo Fisher Shlita points out that there is a, a seemingly machloikas amongst the Chavis Alavavos and the Chazonish. That according to the Chavis Alavavos, Bitachon means that everything will be good according to my understanding of good if I only trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu enough. And according to the Chazon Ish, it's not that everything will be good in accordance with my perspective of good, but rather whatever it is that happens retrospectively, I can always look at it as if it is within the ultimate goodness contained within the unfathomable and indiscernible desire of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which annihilates the mind's capacity to be aware of itself. Now we're going to try and look at the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. And we're going to see how the Baal Shem Tov shows us that ultimately, that ultimately, it's not so much of a machlokas as it is a gradation of experiences of bitachon. When a person looks in the Zayra Kadosh and Parshas Vayera on the Pasuk of Bitchu Bahashem Adeyad, as it's explained in the Biure Hazohar from the Tzemach Tzedek and the Biure Hazohar from the Admor HaMtsai, and in the Ateret Svi of Zidichov in his remarkable, remarkable treatment of these teachings, which deserves multiple shirim in itself, where the Zidichov Rebbe lets us in on Raze Oilam, on the secrets of the universe. What becomes abundantly clear is that Bitachon is not a singular point, but rather it's an area, and that there are various rungs of Bitachon. So that instead of seeing the Chavis Levavos and the Chazon Ish as being diametrically opposed to one another, we can look at them as being various stages along the rung of Emuna, of Bitachon. And what we're going to see is that the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh's approach to Bitachon is going to be more in line with what the Chazon Ish was letting us know. That Bitachon is not HaKadosh Baruch Hu will carry out for me exactly what it is that I hope he carries out for me, but rather Bitachon is the deep-seated awareness that whatever I encounter in this world, whatever experience I am afraid I'm going through or that I am actually going through 
or that I am prepared to go through, no matter what it is that is taking place on the outside of this world, ultimately with eyes of bitachon, with the vision of bitachon, with eyes that gaze beyond the veil of this worldliness, down into the depths of experience, everything is okay as it is. Wherever a person is, that is where they need to be. Whatever a person is encountering, that is what they need to encounter. And it is the vessel of bitachon that allows me to engage with that which is present in my life. Not a desire to change it, but rather a willingness to be present within it, to live life on life's terms, not to change life's terms as the shita of the Chavos of the Vavos, but rather to be present within life on life's terms, to find HaKadosh Baruch Hu wherever I am in the brokenness, even if I don't see how Hashem is present here. Now, the first place that I want to look is going to be in Keser Shem Tov. And this is going to be... <clears throat> Sorry, wrong Makor. This is going to be in the second chilek of Keser Shem Tov, again in the Kahas edition, Ois Nun. And this is coming to Darshan on the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, Perak Yud Zayin, Pasuk Zayin. Baruch HaGever Asher Yivtach Bahashem Vahaya Hashem Mivtach. Blessed is the person who places their trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu becomes their source of trust. B'Shem HaBal Shem Tov. It's taught in the name of the Bal Shem Tov. Baruch HaGever Asher Yivtach Bahashem. Praiseworthy is the person who has trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. V'haya Hashem Mivtachel. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be the fulfillment of their trust. And the Baal Shem Tov asks, Hashem The Pasuk should say that God will be the person that he has placed his trust in. Why is the language that God is the thing that he places his trust in? as opposed to Hashem being the person that a person places their trust in. There are three things in existence. There is the boiteach, there is the batuach, and there is the mivtach. There is the boiteach, which is me, the person who is trusting. There is the batuach, which is my trust that something will happen. And there is the mivtach, which is the mechanism through which that thing I hope will happen takes place. So there's the desire for something to take place. There's the assumption that it will take place. And there's the mechanism that allows that which I desire to take place to take place so that what I hoped for actually manifests. And it is HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself who is the mivtach that one can say, I have trust that something will happen in my life. And that trust creates within my mind the hope that that thing will happen. And then a person looks for mechanisms which will allow what I hope to happen to happen. But what the Baal Shem Tov is saying is that the very act of trusting in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the very act of placing my trust in Hashem is in and of itself that which allows my recognition of Hashem's presence in the world to come into fruition. So that the act of bitachon and the manifestation of that which I hope for are not two separate pulsations within a dance, but rather they are one and the same experience. That the act of bitachon itself 
my willingness to trust that whatever it is that happens is in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is what allows me to live with the comfort that everything that happens is within the hands of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Bitachon is not some cause and effect, but rather Bitachon is an experience within itself that through the act of trusting in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that very trust allows for the manifestation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in my life. Now this leads us to another deep understanding from the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, I believe to be one of the most remarkable teachings, which reads as follows. And this is going to be, <clears throat> this is going to be in Keser Shem Tov. And it is going to be, give me a second. I just want to make sure that I have the right Makor. I can't find the Makor at, at this very moment. I, I'm sorry, it's in Shin Pei Beis. In Shin Pei Beis in Kesar Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says as follows. Mea Baal Shem Tov. I heard from my Rebbe the Baal Shem Tov says that told us Yaakov Yosef. When it comes time for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to create a punishment in a person's life, to create concealment in a person's life, to create withdrawal in a person's life, to allow a person to live in the harrowing scape of feeling that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not present in their life. When it comes for a person to encounter the fear and the anxiety and the brokenness that comes with even the momentary sense of living in a world that is devoid of the ever-present light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the annihilating presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when Hashem wants a person to feel that oinish, when a person wants, when Hashem wants a person to experience that yusure gehenim in this world, where the feeling of Hashem's presence is vacant and no longer present, at that point, before Hakadosh Baruch Hu delivers that punishment, Hashem has to first and foremost remove the mida of bitachon, remove the mida of trust from the individual. At that point, it's of utmost importance for a person to daven to allow me to continue to have bitachon. Now, the way that the tzaddikim types this teaching from the Baal Shem Tov is as follows. What does it mean that Hashem doesn't punish a person until the bitachon is removed? It means that if a person has bitachon in its place, then there's no punishment. Then whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm going through, whatever it is that feels to be chutz from what I think HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants or chutz from what I desire, with bitachon I'm able to recognize that that everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is for the good. And even if I'm not capable of seeing it according to the sheet of the Chavos HaLavavos, even if I'm not able to see how this is the clear present recognition of Hashem's presence in the world. Nevertheless, according to the Shita of the Chazonish, Bitachon is what allows me to see everything as being part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan. And if I'm able to recognize that whatever is taking place in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of the world, in the life of history, in the life of existence, if I'm able to remember that it is all within the general grand narrative of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashgacha Pratis, then whatever happens is not a punishment. 
And therefore, instead of davening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not to bring us a punishment, we daven to Hashem, allow me to maintain my bitachon, because as long as I have bitachon, there's no punishment. As long as I am capable of seeing good in the world, there's no bad. Ah, it's bad on the outside, it's ugly on the outside, it's filthy on the outside, it's grotesque, it's abject, it's disgusting, it's, it's foolish, it's false, it's broken, it's terrifying. Who cares? With bitachon, all of it fits within the general purview of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashkacha. And this is shot in the Pasuk, says the Baal Shem Tov. And this is going to be... Again, I think I, I think I lost this makor already, so I'll just try and say it out loud, but it's a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. This is Pshat in the Pasuk, that somebody who has bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, chesed is going to surround them. Not because bitachon is a cause and effect for chesed, but the act of bitachon is the very thing that draws down the chesed. If I have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if I can sit and recognize that within this experience, within this encounter, no matter how broken or foreign or forlorn it seems, the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is present because there is nothing that is devoid of the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then I am capable of drawing down chesed to surround me that my circumstances at the present moment, nothing changes necessarily. Halavaya person should be able to leave their constriction. Halavaya person should be able to leave their anxiety. Halavaya person should have the rafua and the parnasa and all of the different things that they need so desperately. But the work of bitachon is that wherever I am with the circumstances that I am in without changing a kihuzet of anything, through the work of bitachon, I draw down chesed, chesed yesevevenu. And the Baal Shem Tov says, this is a symptom of the teaching we learned in previous shirim, that wherever a person thinks, that's where they are. If I think the opposite of bitachon, then I'm going to be surrounded by din because I'm going to live in a landscape where God is absent. But if I think with the perspective of bitachon, if I allow myself to be aware and trusting of the fact that whatever it is that takes place in my life, down to the most particularized of particulars of experience, up to the most generalized, overwhelming senses, everything without any yoytzim and aklal is contained within the direct tashkacha pratis of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like we said, everything I see, everything I encounter in this world is directly a message from Hashem. When a person is able to live with that awareness, the act of bitachon itself is what draws down the surrounding light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this is where Rav Itchemeyer points out Hervichemeyer Shlita says that it's this shot of the Chazonish, which is of a loftier level than the Chavis Alevavos's understanding of Bitachon. The Chavis Alevavos tells us to have Bitachon in order to bring about the change that we want to see in the world. That if I have a deep enough trust in Hashem, then Hashem will pay me back for my efforts and give me what I desire. But the Chazonish's level of Bitachon is the recognition that as long as I have Bitachon, there is no bad. Everything is fixed when I have the proper level of trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When I can look at my experiences, when I can look at the experiences of the world, when I can look at myself in every element of the self, I can draw the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu down. And this is a remarkable teaching from the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Rabbi Nachman writes as follows in the 76th teaching in the Maran Chilak Aleph. He writes as follows, he says, 
And this is the aspect of the greatness of the experience of trust in God. Because bitachon is an aspect of vision. It's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of seeing things. When a person looks only to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when a person looks only and directly to God and places their trust in God, in the aspect of that all eyes of existence, all eyes of creation are only directed upon you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because when I look with eyes of trust, what I do is I create a vessel, I create limitation, I allow my eyes to settle upon something, applying limitation to it, so that I can experience it in that moment. And with eyes of bitachon, the very vision of bitachon draws down a reverberating light of an experience of bitachon. Because the influx of divine intensity and presence of this world, the infinitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is ever-present. It's without time. We have no ability to grasp it. It is beyond our human capacity of recognizing. There are times where I need something right now. It will feel as if it's pushed off two or three years. But through the vision of bitachon, through living with bitachon, through the awareness that everything is okay, in the depths of everything, in spite of whatever it is that's going on, at that point, I ensure I bring it down right now. Because it's my eyes, it's my vision that allows me to see the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And this is the depth of what Rabbeinu, what Rabbi Nachman tells us in Sefer Hamidos, in the Sefer of Aleph Beis, in Erech HaBitachon, where he says that a segula of Bitachon, one of the secret powers of Bitachon is that it is Masir Hadagos, is that it alleviates a person of anxiety. Because no matter what happens, no matter what takes place in a person's life, it's within the purview of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world. It's all good. It's all within the trust of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's no wonder that the name associated with Bitachon, that name of Aleph, Chaf, Tes, Dalid Mem, that we celebrate and we focus on, on Lag Ba'oimer, as the Arizal points out in Shara Kavanos, is the very name of Bitachon. Bitchu Bahashem Adei Ad. Because the element of Pnimiya Satora is the ability for a person to have Bitachon. Pnimiya Satora tells us that even though things look a certain way on the outside, even though things appear to be a contraction of godliness, an act of tzimtzum, even though things appear to be a traumatic shattering, a shvira sakhelim, even though things appear to be stuck in the klipos of the worlds of Bria, Yitzira, Nasiya, and separation, as the Sefer Kadisha, the Eitzchayim HaKadosh ends, Nevertheless, Panimiya Satora teaches us how to look with eyes of bitachon and recognize that there's a nitzitz of toiv that exists within everything. It's irreducible. There is no moment that is devoid of the annihilating goodness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when we're able to uncover that through the light of bitachon, we come to realize that there's no punishment as long as I have bitachon, because there is nothing that is bad. Ah, painful, difficult, frightening, scary, ugly, all of the adjectives that each and every person wants to use, certainly 
But bad, God forbid. There is no bad when a person has eyes of bitachon. There is nothing that cannot be contained within the elasticity of faith, which moves its borders to swallow everything. What I want to end with tonight is a story we've told before. It's a story we've told before. It's one of my favorite sipurim. So sipuri maisios from Rabbeinu from Rabbi Nachman, and it's called Maisa Mebitachon, a Maisa of trust. And ultimately, this story can be interpreted in an infinite amount of ways, but we'll leave it to the listener, to ourselves, or each person according to their own understanding to understand what Rabbeinu is trying to teach us here. There was a certain king in the world. There was a certain person, a king, who wanted to ensure that he was the happiest of all. This king wanted to make sure that there was no peasant, no other individual happier than he. And he went around and he looked at his villagers and he saw their faces and he saw their homes and all of their grandeur and all of their joy and all of their delicacies. And he found nothing but sadness and mourning and sighing and sabrachenkeit and brokenheartedness and desire and lack and, and a sense of not being enough. And again, this is a paraphrase of the story. I should have mentioned at the beginning. Until the king comes to find a house that's sunken in the mud, very similar to those beggars that we encountered in the mice of the Sheva Habatlarim, who understood the depths of joy, specifically when finding marriage joy buried in a pit in the mud covered in dirt and twigs and branches. And the king sees this individual in a house that's buried, submerged in the mud. And he sees that this person is very joyous. This person is very excited. And the king is a little bit upset. He says, this person seems to be happier than me. Let me go and see what makes him so happy. And he spends the night with this person and there's a meal with wine and meat, a simple meal, but a meal with wine and meat and there's great joy. And the king in disguise, clandestine at this point, wakes up the next morning and he asks this peasant, he says, what makes you so happy? Where do you draw such joy? And the person says, I fix things, I'm a fixer. I look out into the world like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and I see things that are broken that need to be fixed. And the king goes back to his advisors and he says, ensure that nobody is allowed to fix anything. Because again, the king does not want somebody happier than him. The next day when this peasant goes out to see what needs fixing, and he asks somebody, do you need anything fixed? They said, no, the king made a decree. Nothing can be fixed today. You're not allowed to fix anymore. And so the peasant says, okay, I see you're chopping wood. Would you like me to do that for you? And the person says, yes. So this Jew, this peasant decides to chop wood and he makes enough money to buy his meal. And the king comes back that night disguised again. And he says, can I join you for your meal? Hoping to find this person despondent because he's no longer able to fix things. And he finds this person in joy again. And he sleeps there overnight and he wakes up the next morning and says, where does such a joy come from? And he says, if there are trees that need to be chopped, I chop them. And so the king goes back to his advisors and he says, ensure that nobody is allowed to cut down trees. Because again, he wants to take away that simcha. He wants to take away that comfort in this world. And so this peasant goes out the next day looking for trees to cut in order to find enough money to make his bread. And he's told by the community individuals that, no, the king made a degree, we can't cut trees anymore. So the peasant says, okay. He says, you know what? You know what? I see you're cleaning out a stable. Let me clean out the stable. 
let me clean out the horse's house. And he says, okay, if you think that's appropriate for you, then great. And he cleans out the stable and he makes enough money to buy his bread and he creates his meal and his suit. And the king comes back clandestine, hoping to see his brokenness. And he sees rather that there's simply joy and trust. And he spends the night there and he wakes up the next morning and he says, tell me, where does this joy come from? And he says, I was cleaning stables. And the king goes back to his advisors and he says, us are cleaning stables. No one's allowed to clean stables anymore. And so when this peasant Jew goes out to make his wares for the day in order to find his nightly meal. And again, this person was only trying to find sustenance for one day. For one day, as Rabbi Nachman makes very clear in Sicho Saran. And he comes to find that he can't clean stables anymore. So what he does now is he goes to the military office. And he says, you know, I know that you generally hire people against their will, but I would like to sign up for military duty. I need to make some money to make a meal. But the only thing is you have to promise me that I'll get paid my wages during the day. And I'm not going to do this perpetually. I'm not going to do this forever. And Kahava, he goes with his sword and he makes his daily wages and he buys himself the meat and the wine that he needs for the Suda. And the king comes to him the next night and he sees that the joy is still present and he understands and he sleeps there the night and he asks this person, where exactly are you getting your sustenance from? How do you still find joy? He says, because I got paid, I'm working in the army and I got paid and I was able to buy. So the king goes back and he makes a degree that a person cannot be paid for their day wages in the army. They have to wait a little bit. And the person comes back the next day as a soldier and he says, I need my wages for my work. I need my wages. And they say, no, the king made a decree that you can't have your wages. And at this point, he says, what am I going to do? I need to buy my food. And he says, I'll be happy to pay you tomorrow for two days, said the officer, but today it's impossible to pay you. So what did this peasant do? He broke off the blade of his sword from its handle, replacing it with a piece of wood. And when the sword was in its sheath, it wasn't the least visible from the outside. Nobody could tell that it was no longer metal and that it was just wood. Nobody could tell that it wasn't real, that it was just fake. Nobody could tell that it wasn't based in reality, but rather it was just trust. The man pawned the blade of sword with the money he received. He bought the whole meal and that meal was mamish a meal. And that night the king comes back to hopefully see this person brokenhearted. And again, he sees this person in joy and he asks him, what exactly did you do? How did you find the money? And he tells him the whole story. And so the king says, ah, now I'm going to get him. And he goes back to the military office and they say, call this person in tomorrow to execute this criminal who needs to be executed. Because I know now that he doesn't have a real sword. I know that he doesn't have a metal sword anymore. All he has is a wooden sword. So the officer summoned the man who came before the king. And now the king was clearly the king. And the king gave instructions for all his ministers to assemble in order to witness this comic spectacle and exposing a man who had stuck a piece of wood in his sword in place of a blade. The man came before the king and fell to his feet. My lord, my king, why have I been summoned? You've been summoned in order to cut off this person's head. The man pleaded that never in his life had he shed blood. He begged the king to call someone else. The king said, no, it's you and it's only you. Because again, the king knew that he just had a wooden blade. Is the verdict so clear cut, asked the man. Perhaps it's not so clear that he deserves to die. I have never shed blood in my life. How could I shed blood when it's not clear that the prisoner deserves to die? The king replied that there was no shadow of a doubt that the prisoner deserved to die and you and nobody else must ex execute him. 
The man saw that he can never prevail over the king. So he turned to God and he said as follows, Eternal God, never in my life have I shed blood. If this man is not guilty, let the blade of my sword turn into wood. He took hold of the sword and drew it from its sheath, and everybody saw that it was made of wood. Everybody laughed, a hearty laugh, and the king saw that he was an excellent man, and he sent him off in peace. The avoida of bitachon is that even when we know that our swords are no longer metal, even when we know that things don't look good on the outside, even when we can no longer lie to ourselves or pretend to ourselves that everything is okay, we can still have trust in our wooden swords. We can still trust that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will see our bitachon, our blind trust, and reward that blind trust with oros, with Yeshua, with Shefa, and with the Chesed Yisrael Vebeinu. Bezos Hashem, next week, what we're going to be discussing in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov is the secret of a reversed world, an Olam Hafuch, where that which is above is below, and that which is below, which is above, as symptomatic of the revolution, the revolution of Purim that the Baal Shem Tov brought into the world, Bezos Hashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs>